I titled this message, Compelled by Grace. We're actually going to learn some lessons from the Apostle Paul, how he was compelled to do what he did by grace. And uh, I want want you to think about your own life for a moment. What drives you? What's your biggest motivating factor in your life right now? For some of you, it might be to make money. Others of you, it might be to gain power, maybe climb the corporate ladder in your job, or to to start a business, or or whatever it might be on the in the business side. I mean, for some of you, it could be like. I want as many followers as possible or as many likes on social media. I mean, there's a lot of different things that can drive people. For some, it's just relationships, being with people, my family. There's a lot of things that can drive people. But we're going to talk today from the the scriptures about what the Apostle Paul was driven by. Grace. You think about what is grace. We we titled our, our series through Galatians, Grace Changes Everything. Grace is a gift. In other words, if I pulled out a $20 bill and I came up to you and I said, at the end of the service, would you go around and just pick up all the pieces of paper at the end of the service and I'd be glad to give you this this $20 bill? That would not be grace. That would be a wage. It's something you're doing in exchange for what you did. Grace would be like, as you're getting ready to leave, I hand you a $20 bill and says, hey, go enjoy yourself. Go have a meal after church on me. That's grace. You didn't do anything. It was a received gift that you had. And this is what the gospel is. It's a gift that we receive, and we call that grace, that gift. Now, as we start Galatians, Apostle Paul was in, he was going through some uh, couple big things that were, people were coming against him. First of all, people were coming against his uh, authority as an apostle. They're like, you're not a real apostle. You're not one of the original ones that followed Jesus. You weren't sent out like the early church apostles. So he had that opposition. They also were opposing the message that he had because he was going to the Gentile world. And they were coming to him, these Judaizers, these agitators, as they were called in Scripture. They would come and they would say, okay, it's okay if you want to be uh, believe in Jesus, you Gentiles. But you've got to first become Jewish. In other words, guys, you're going to have to be circumcised. You're going to have to follow the dietary laws. You're going to have to follow all the commandments, the ceremonial things. In other words, if you want to be a believer in Jesus, you also got to be Jewish. And Paul was coming against that, against the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles. And so these are the couple of the big things that Paul was encountering. As he was writing this letter to a group of churches in the region of Galatia, Galatia was in like the central southern part of what was called Asia Minor in those those days. Today, it's modern-day Turkey. And we know at least four different churches that he went to in his missionary journeys. Now, if you're going to break the six chapters of Galatians down, it would kind of follow a little bit of an outline like this. Chapters 1 and 2 would be Paul's experience with God's grace. So that's where we're going to be at today. Chapters 3 and 4 is the doctrine of God's grace. And then chapters 5 and 6, the application of God's grace. How do we apply it in our everyday life? So just kind of a simple little outline you could use in your head as we move through this book. So in Galatians 1, you're in verse 11 now. Let's start. 
I want you to know, brothers and sisters, and whenever Paul talks about brothers and sisters, it, it just tells you that he's talking to Christians. He's not talking about uh, belie- people who are not believers. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel, that good news, that I preach to you is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And if we had the time, we'd jump into Acts chapter 9, and we could see when Jesus spoke to Paul. Paul was on the road to Damascus. He was ready to persecute Christians, throw them into jail. I mean, he was, he was like a modern-day terrorist, going after the church, dragging them into courts, approving of their death. And the Lord stopped him, blinded him, spoke to him, and Paul gave his life to Christ, and everything changed from there. He received the gospel directly from Jesus. Now, as we think about what the gospel is, it's always good to compare it to what it came out of or what its differences of where Judaism was. It was they followed the law. God had given them the law in the Old Testament. And so let's look at a comparison on the screen. The law... And there was all kinds of laws, more than just the Ten Commandments. Um, there was the Ten Commandments with the moral laws, but there were ceremonial laws and so forth. Is what God requires from us for our perfection. But the gospel is what Jesus did for us for our perfection. Big difference, right? I'd much rather go with what Jesus did than me trying to do it. Because you know what? I'm going to fall short all every time, and so are you. The Bible says that even if you keep all the commandments, but you break one, you're guilty of breaking it all. And sometimes people get hung up like, well, why did God give us these laws then? Well, first of all, they're great moral things on how we can base and live our life. It helps us to understand the character of God. But really, the law was given to us. We'll find this later in the, in the book. Is It was given to us to show us we have a need for a Savior, that we are sinners, And how would we know we were sinners unless we had a law? It'd be like if there was no speed limit signs and a patrolman pulled you over and says, hey, you're speeding. You said, there's no signs. I I wouldn't know what is the speed limit. Well, the law gave us the speed limit signs. So we know when we're breaking the law, we show our need for a savior, for the gospel. Now, let's go a little deeper into what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15 is a great place that describes the gospel by the Apostle Paul. In this book, he was writing to a church in Corinth, but we're going to take a little time to go through it because it's so complete. It says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So evidently, maybe they were forgetting it. They were moving away from it, and that can happen. So Paul wants to remind them of the gospel. He says, which you received, and that's what our role is. We received the gospel. We, uh, you know, a gift has to be received, right? It's not a gift if you don't receive it. No, 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 I don't want that. No, it has to be received. And on which you've taken your stand. So for us, we receive the gospel, and we take our stand. We're committed to it. We believe it. It says, by this gospel, you are saved. But there's not just a period there, is there? Then what's the next word? If. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So in other words, the gospel is something that we receive. We take hold of it. We, we base our life on it. 
It makes a difference in our lives. And you're going to find in the Apostle Paul's case, it's going to compel him to be different. Move on to the next slide. So now he's going to define the gospel very clearly. For what I received, and when did Paul receive that? He, he received it from the, on that road to Damascus from Jesus. He says, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So this is the most important thing Paul could share with us. That Christ died for our sins. You ever want to simplify the gospel down to as few words as possible? There it is. Christ died for our sins. That's the gospel right there. That he died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. In other words, he's saying there's a lot of people still living here today that could refute this. They saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. Then he appeared to James. That's, that's the brother of, the half-brother of Jesus. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. And I think what that part is, what Paul's referring to, is I wasn't a part of that original group. I wasn't born into the, into the faith with that original group of believers. It was for me later. Then he goes on and says, For I am the least of the apostles. And do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, verse 10 is so key here, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether it is, then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Let's keep that up there for a moment. Look at verse 10 again. It's the grace of God that caused Paul to want to work harder, to bring the gospel to other people. This is a guy that's going to go through shipwrecks, imprisonments, stoning with rocks, you know, and uh, all kinds of difficulties that he went through for the sake of the gospel. He worked hard. Because of the grace of God. He appreciated so much what Jesus Christ did. And so as we uh, think about this for our own lives. At this point up on the screen. Let God's grace save you. And compel you to fulfill his purposes. See. When we really understand the grace of God. We have to first understand what we've been saved from. We're all deserving of hell. We've sinned in thought, word, and deed against the holy God, the creator. It doesn't matter the degrees of sin. We're all, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, as it says in the book of Romans. But as you truly appreciate what Jesus did for you and me, it should motivate us to be like, I want to love him back. I want to serve him back. Uh, I, I'll give you an example. What if I gave you a million dollars? And you were like, oh, wow, thank you. I love that, man. It would be kind of natural to say, what could I do for you? Man, you ever have any need, let me know. I want to, you know, because you've received a lot, you'd be like, I'm grateful to you. What can I do? If there's ever anything I can do to help you. 
See, it's like we're compelled by the grace that we've received such a debt, and a, a debt that was way more than a million dollars, but we've received that from the Lord, so that, so that should compel us. Well, let's get back to the, the uh, passage here, and um, in Galatians 1, verse uh, 13. And, uh, well, before, let me just say one other thing before we get there. Do you know many churches don't like to teach on grace? They're afraid it'll give people a license to sin. Like, oh, if it's just all by grace, it's all by this gift. If it's not like, oh, I got to also do a bunch of hard work, you know, you know, and it's harder to manipulate people if you're preaching a message of grace. So sometimes some churches don't like that. And then some people say, well, you know, that sounds like cheap grace. It's not cheap grace. It costs Jesus everything. We get to freely receive it. So now, verse 13. Now, Paul's going to start to share his testimony. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Let's just stop there for a moment. At this point in Paul's life, what was he motivated by? What was compelling him? Judaism, religion, traditions of the fathers. This is what he was so motivated for. Do you know you can be motivated for the wrong things, right? And this is what Paul's saying. Hey, in my former way of life, I was so motivated. I was persecuting the church, trying to stamp out the, stomp the church out because it was competing against Judaism. But look what he says in verse 15. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb. Oh, I can't. I got to stop right there. This is why we're pro-life. Because we believe that life begins at conception. Many passages in the scripture talk about life in the womb. Here, Paul was called by God while he's still in the womb. Now, that's a true grace because Paul couldn't do anything at that point, could he? I mean, he's in the womb. So, you see here... I mean, even in Jeremiah 1.5, Jeremiah says this, before I formed you, or God said this to Jeremiah, he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. Remember the story of Elizabeth? She was pregnant with John the, the Baptist inside of her, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, came. It says that the baby leaped for joy inside of her when he heard Mary's voice. So when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, not to me, in me, see that? So that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia. and Later I returned to Damascus. That area of Arabia, it was in the uh, Nabataean Desert, the Nabataean region of Arabia, which would have been southern Syria into Jordan, maybe parts of Saudi Arabia today. It was this area where Paul departed Damascus after he got saved, and he went to go be with with God. We don't know how long, part of this three-year period he's going to talk about here in a moment. But why do you suppose Paul went and he went off into Arabia after that? 
just gotten saved. I think he went to the, to the desert region just to go get along with God, probably search the scriptures and realize, wow, now I see Jesus is the fulfillment of all these prophecies. He would have learned so many things growing up in, in the Jewish religion. He would have learned the Old Testament. But they were all looking for some other Messiah. They were looking for a political leader. And all of a sudden before them was not a political leader. It was Jesus, God in the flesh, here on earth. And Paul's like realizing, wow, now it's all making sense. I didn't understand it before. So then he's going to go back to Damascus for a moment. Another interesting part of Paul before he was saved, he was a Pharisee. He was part of the religious uh, leadership of the Judaism. And uh, that word in verse 15 where it says, God sent me apart, is the word aphorizo. Aphorizo means set apart. It's where the, the root word of Pharisee came from because they were ones who were set apart. So what Paul was saying was, before I was set apart as a Pharisee, now I'm set apart for a different calling. My calling is to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So here's the first thing. We've got four different things we're going to see about God compelling. And that is, number one, be compelled by God's grace, not by religious traditions. Be compelled by God's grace. See, Paul before was... Compelled by religious traditions. We don't, want to be, we don't want to fall in that trap. We want to be compelled by His grace. The appreciation for what He's done for us. And every one of us have been called. You might be saying, well, you know, you're a pastor. You've been called. I haven't been. No, every one of us have been called. I'll give you a verse to prove it right here. 2 Timothy 1.9 It says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. There's one calling that we all have. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. See, God has called us before the beginning of time, his grace for us. He's called us to live a holy life. He's called us to be in Christ. Now, what religion does, though, is tries to Muddy the water, so to speak. It tries to say, and you'll find this with most religions, they'll acknowledge Jesus, but then they want to add something to Jesus. Last week, Pastor Brian did a great job of talking about Jesus and all the cultural things that get added to Jesus. Today, I'm going to talk about Jesus and all the church type of things that get added to Jesus, because sometimes it happens even within the church. People have their own religious traditions and things that get added to it. So look up on the screen. You'll see some things that people try to add to Jesus for, you know, being right with God, so to speak. See, religion tries to add Jesus plus good works. That's a big one. You know, there are many people who, who, who believe in Jesus, but they also believe that their good works are going to get them to heaven. Your good works aren't going to get you to heaven. It's what Jesus Christ, his good works is what gets us to heaven. Here's another one, baptism. There are certain people out there say, when you get saved, you, that's great, but you've got to also be baptized. Until you're baptized, you're not saved. When I was growing up, I, I, uh, I was in a church uh, that I was sprinkled as a baby. And they taught me that that's when I became a Christian, when I was baptized as a baby. 
Well, infant baptism is not in Scripture. You cannot find one passage of Scripture that indicates infant baptism, but I'm, I'm guessing that probably most of you fell into that tradition. I remember when we were, we were raising our kids in, in the ways of God, and uh, we had our first daughter, Christy, and, she, and uh, we did what we do here. We, we dedicated her to the Lord, and that's what you see in Scripture, dedication. That's what Jesus was, and he was brought to the temple. And I remember my grandmother. My grandmother was like, oh, so beside herself, because she was part of this same religious tr- tradition. And she thought, I hope nothing happens to your kids before they're baptized. Because if something would happen, if they would die before they're baptized, they're going to go to hell. Some of you were raised that way. Am I right? That's not biblical. You know, Jesus, when he was talking to the thief on the cross, and he said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. But one more thing, you got to get down off that cross. Go get baptized first. Okay? And if you were to study about, I think it's in Corinthians, uh, somewhere, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I didn't even baptize many people. You know, if baptism saved you, then Paul should have been baptizing everybody he talked to. No, baptism is an outward expression of what happens when we become a follower of Jesus. By the way, yesterday we had a great baptism at the pool. We had 16 people got baptized, and uh, yeah, it was, it was great. And, uh, and baptism is important, but it doesn't save us. Oh, here's another one. What church you attend? Some people get pretty prideful about their church. And they're like, like, unless you're a part of our church, our denomination or whatever, you're not real believers. I've heard that said about our church from people who have attended another church in our area. Oh, here's another one. What translation of the Bible you use? Some are so proud of it, they put it right on their sign. King James only. Now, I know some of you love the King James. That's what you learned and you grew and you uh, grew up with. You memorized. I have no, no problem with King James. Except it's, it's hard to read and hard to understand because it was written in 1611. Old, you know, King's English. And we don't speak that way anymore. But, you know, it's fine. But don't add it to, like, this is the only way we can be a believer is that we got to... Because I, I remember talking to a guy one time and we had... Uh, a number of people gave their life to Christ. I said, wasn't it great the number of people who gave their life to Christ? He stopped me right there and he says, but you don't use the King James Bible. I mean, that's where people get adding these other things. Well, here's another one. End times or Holy Spirit beliefs. You know, there's some things that are not 100% clear in Scripture. Some things are, like the way to the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. But there's some things we say are like more open-handed. We might agree to disagree, that we may not know exactly all the times of, you know, when Jesus is coming back and what way and so forth, or our beliefs on the Holy Spirit and some of the different things about that. You know, that's fine. But don't add it to like this is the only way you can be saved, is you have to believe just like this. And then sometimes this happens, and I've, I've talked to missionaries where this actually spreads even in churches and overseas, where uh, people come in and they want to add Jewish festivals, Old, Tis, Old Testament traditions to believers to say, no, you, this is the way you have to do it. Sometimes there are certain Christians, you can only worship on Saturday. I mean, you've talked to those people. You know, that's adding things to it. Let's not add things to Jesus, Amen. So grace is grace, and we appreciate it. Now let's go back to the scripture, verse 18. 
Then after three years, I went up to... Paul's again talking, he's sharing his testimony. He says, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas. Again, that's Peter. And stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. And I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and to Cilicia, and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. You know, as I was reading that section, I just couldn't help but think about what was compelling Paul here. This brings us up to the second thing that should compel us to. Number two, be compelled to build Jesus' church, not our empire. Paul wasn't trying to build a, a ministry around himself. He was traveling around trying to build churches, get churches started, getting leadership in place. Some people have gotten sour on the church. Well, it's because we're made up of imperfect people. But Jesus, he, he gave his life for the church. We are his, called his body. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He's the one who established the church. So don't get sour on the church. Churches are just full of imperfect people. But here's what happens sometimes is people come and they want to build their empire. Let's, let's be careful that we don't want to build our kingdom. It's thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Not my will. Not my kingdom. And this is part of the even, just, it's a subtle little thing, but it's just so important. You see here what we're trying to do as a church. We're using teaching teams. So it's not built upon just one person up here speaking. All we are as pastors is we're ordinary people just like you. We get up the same way in the morning. We, we you know, you, you don't think we walk on water or anything, Okay. But we use teaching teams here at all of our campuses because we don't want you to get attached just to one person. I can only hear from them. You know, we're drawing everybody and pointing everybody to, to the Lord Jesus. That's who we need to be learning from. So we're teaching you the scripture, and, and that's who we, we fall in love with is, is through the word of God. And, we've, and, and we don't want to build our own empire. Now, we see Paul doing two things. He shared the gospel, and he also used his testimony. Two really big things that all of us can use in our own lives. We share the gospel and we share a testimony. Every one of you should have a testimony. One way or another, if you've gotten saved, if you've given your life to Christ, you have a testimony. And some of you, it might be like you were like, you know, I didn't, never did any big bad things. I gave my life to Christ at a young age and, and that's a testimony. Others of you were, you know, a lot, lot worse. You're more like my wife or me or some. She was perfect. No, I mean, we all have a testimony. But here's the three elements that we should have in a testimony. Our life before trusting Jesus. Now, be careful of that. We don't want to glorify sin. Okay? Who were we before we were Christ? For me, I was a religious person. I believed all this stuff in my head, but my lifestyle was a mess. Number two... How did we give our life to Christ? This should include our coming to know Jesus, uh, our belief in the gospel, that he died for our sins. I, I, couldn't, I could never be good enough. The, the gospel fits into that number two area, how we gave our life to Christ, 
And here's a big one. Number three, what's changed since following Jesus? Something should have changed. With the Apostle Paul, you don't see him like, oh, I had this experience with Jesus, now I'm going to continue to go out and kill Christians. Some people say they've given their life to Christ, but nothing's ever changed. Remember, we just read in 1 Corinthians, we've got to take our stand. If not, maybe we've believed in vain. So that shows me there can be a false belief that we just have this mental knowledge, but we, it's never become part of us. So something should change. Now, remember, none of us are perfect. So we don't, you know, we're not going to be perfect, but things start to change when we become a follower of Jesus. Now let's go into chapter 2. It says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, probably 14 years after he uh, became a follower of Jesus. And this time with Bar- uh, Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, probably something that the Lord had spoken to uh, the Apostle Paul, and meeting privately with those esteemed to be as leaders, the leaders of the early church there in Jerusalem. I presented them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. So let's stop there for a moment. What was Paul doing? He was getting all this opposition from people about the gospel. Like, okay, yes, you know, you've got to add Judaism. You've got to be a Jewish first. They were trying to make Christianity a sect of Judaism. And Paul's like, no, 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 that's not the way it is. So finally, Paul decides, I'm accountable to the early church leaders. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to, just to make sure the message that I'm teaching is correct, I'm going to share it with them. In fact, I'm going to take another person along, Barnabas, who was another leader, and I'm going to take this guy, Titus, along. Titus was a Gentile. He was a Greek Gentile. And I'm going to take him on as an example. He's going to be come along, and they're going to be able to question him and see, you know, are you really saved? Did you give your life to Christ? And see how do they think he should live his life based as a Gentile believer. Does he have to become Jewish, in other words, or not? So that's, that's setting the stage there. But look at verse 3. Yet not even Titus, who is with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. In other words, those religious leaders, the, excuse me, the early church leaders, they didn't say, Titus, you've got to get circumcised. You, you, you have to become Jewish first. It says he wasn't compelled to do that. And now Paul's going to explain further why he brought this matter to him. He says, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. And really, that's what, you know, religion does. It makes us slaves. You know, we're manipulated. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. See, what these, these people that came in, these false believers, they were really like, sheep, or excuse me, wolves in sheep's clothing, okay? They were not true believers. They're false believers, but they came into the church, and they were trying to infiltrate, spy out, you know, tell people, oh, no, that's not quite right. By the way, you know how you can tell a wolf in sheep's clothing, don't you? By what they eat. What do they eat? Other sheep. 
This is why we as pastors and elders take very seriously our role providing spiritual leadership and protection for the church body. You guys don't always know sometimes the meetings that we have to have with people saying, no, you can't teach that here. You're teaching a false, uh, you, you have a false belief. You're, you're not correct according to scripture. You're bringing something else in. Sometimes these people are repentive, they change and praise the Lord. Sometimes they get mad and they leave. But either way, we take seriously protecting you as a church body. And we have the truth of Scripture that we base our beliefs on. Not the Scripture plus things like others can tend to do. And so we want to stay true to the Word of God. Now, these, uh, these things happen to Paul constantly. And here's another example where it happened in Acts 15.1. You see this passage. It says this, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. So these are one of these wolves in sheep's clothing. Unless you're circumcised according to custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. See, this is what they were trying to do. They were coming from Judea, that's the region of Jerusalem. They were coming down to the Gentile believers, say, okay, you've got to be circumcised. Now, circumcision was something that was uh, in the Old Testament. It was a, uh, a sign of a covenant that God had with Abraham and his descendants. But it was never a requirement of the gospel. And if Paul was with us today and Paul was to like say, you know, I'm going to communicate back to these churches. I'm going to use a meme instead. You know, a meme, like a little graphic to try to describe what you should and shouldn't do. Paul might use a little graphic like this. No dumb dad jokes today, just a meme, okay. But what's so important is that we didn't dilute the gospel here. It could have been very easily. You know, people today are still trying to do that, dilute the gospel by Jesus plus these things that we've talked about. That's what was happening here. So here's our next thing is be compelled to obey God above others. We've got to be careful. Sometimes people want to push us in a certain direction. And we have to be so careful that we don't get caught up into what others want us to believe. They want us to accept and be tolerant and, and, and everything kind of goes. And, you know, if we're not careful, then pretty soon the church moves to a point of liberalism where anything goes. And I'm not talking about politics now. I'm just talking about within the church. Some churches have gone that way because it's like everybody's invited, everybody's included, every lifestyle's fine. And it's like they move beyond grace to where they move past the scriptures. And we have to be careful we don't go that direction. But we also don't want to be on the other extreme where we get so legalistic that we're sin-sniffing and we're, we're like, oh, are you doing that? You know? When we, when we first got saved, I mean, we were in a church that, like, you couldn't, you couldn't smoke, you couldn't drink, you couldn't dance, you couldn't even go to movies. Like movie theater. They were bad. Any of you ever remember those type of churches? So the pastor that was a friend of ours in that church we were going to he was associate pastor him and his wife they went out of town when they wanted to go see a movie (laughs) they didn't want anybody to see them okay but sometimes we pick these little things and then we just try try to get so legalistic with it so where's the balance 
Here's the balance. The grace is found on these pages of Scripture. The gospel is grace. I'm not up here because I have to. I'm up here because I want to. I've given my life to Jesus Christ, and, and I'm compelled to do what I do, not for a paycheck. Half of my Christian life, I was not collecting a paycheck to, to do what I do uh, for the sake of, the, of Jesus. What, are you, what is motivating you in your life? And be careful that you don't allow others to come in and, and distort the gospel and, and push you into these categories where you have to like somehow conform to what they want you to believe. There are times where we just have to say, no, I'm not going to fall for that. I'm not going to believe for that. I'm going to stay true to God. See, here's the next thing. If Satan can't stop the church from the outside, he will try to from the inside. He's so deceptive. We have to be very careful, and that's why, again, we as leaders take our role very serious. And the best way we can protect you is by teaching you the truth. That's why we go to the Word. That's why we're in books of the Bible and we teach you the Word to protect you. Verse 6, and we're going to get down to uh, verse 10, and that's where we're going to close today. It says this, And for those who were held in high esteem, whether what they were makes no difference to me, God does not show favoritism, they added nothing to my message. Paul's just saying there, these uh, early church leaders in Jerusalem, they didn't change his message. He was preaching the right gospel. You didn't have to become circumcised. You didn't have to become Jewish to become a believer. This is verse 7. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised. That's the, talking about the Gentiles. Just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, in other words, to the Jewish people, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those in trust, esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. What that right hand of fellowship means is that in biblical days, it was a sign of partnership and agreement and friendship. You didn't just offer that right hand of fellowship for any reason. And so the early church leaders said, Paul and Barnabas, we give you this right hand. We agree with what you're doing. We're, you're a partner with us. That's why they say that. It says, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing we've been eager to do. Here's our last one. Be compelled to share the gospel of grace and to be generous. That's what Paul was doing there. He was Peter. He was going to go to the the circumcised and uh, um, Paul to the uncircumcised. The, the, share that gospel of grace and be generous. See the the poor that he was talking to there in verse ten, where the early church they were extremely persecuted around Jerusalem because remember they, they were Jewish people, and as soon as they acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah, they were put out of the synagogues. They lost their jobs, many of them lost their families, and they became very poor and dependent. Then a famine hit the region, and they became extra poor. So in Paul's missionary journeys, oftentimes you'll see, you'll hear him collecting a collection of money to take back to Jerusalem. 
And that was to help these early believers because of the situation they were in. I love this passage from 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul says this. For Christ's love, that's his grace right there. For Christ's love compels us. That's what we've been talking about all service. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. What Paul's saying there is, we're compelled by his love, by his grace. And because Jesus died, we die to ourselves so that we can live and we live for him. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him. That's being that compelled by his grace. And you know where you find real life is you find real life when you die to yourself and you're living for your creator. That's where real life comes from. People in this world are trying to find it in all these different ways and they keep coming up empty. And that's why people are so mixed up and and empty and depressed and all the other things they're dealing with because they're finding real life in a wrong, they're looking for it in the wrong place. We will find it in Christ. Look at this um, quote from a famous missionary from the 1800s, Charles Thomas, or he goes by C.T. Stud. Don't you guys wish you had that last name? (laughs) What's your last name? Stud. Here's this famous quote, and it is so good. I've been meditating all week as we've been going through prayer, uh, prayer, or prayer week. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I know some of you have heard that before. Let me repeat it again. Only one life, that's all we get, right? One life will soon be passed. Yep, someday it's going to be over with. But only what's done for Christ will last. The only thing you're taking with you to heaven is other people. So let that be a motivation to you to reach the lost and to use your life on purpose. Some of you, if you're trying to build your empire and trying to have a big pile of goods and everything, it's just going to end up in somebody's trash at some point in time. What does your life count for? what's, What's driving you? And as we, as we close, just a, a review of the, the four points again. So before we pray, be compelled by God's grace, not by religious traditions. Be compelled to build Jesus' church, not our empire. Be compelled to obey God above others. Be compelled to share the gospel of grace and be generous. Amen? Now, you can't do any of it without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you've got to receive the grace first. And today, if you're not a believer, whether you're watching online or you're here in Melbourne somewhere, or maybe watching or listening to this after the fact, it all starts with our relationship with Jesus Christ. A gift must be received. And if I said I wanted to give you a $100 bill, and I had it in my hand, I was holding it out, and you looked at it and said, I don't know if that's real. Uh, there's some catch. I'm not going to take it from you. Then it's really not a gift to you. You have to receive it. Same thing with the gospel. We read it in 1 Corinthians 15. The gospel on which you received it said. You've got to receive the gospel. And we want to give you an opportunity today as we pray. You can receive the gospel. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we wrap up this message. Thank you for your grace.
that was found through Jesus. Lord, let the grace of God compel us to live our life differently because we appreciate so much what you've done for us. We know we're not saved by any of the things that we do. It's all by what you did, but we receive that. And I pray if there's anyone here today who is not in a relationship with you, that they would either call the number on the screen or they'd come up at the end of the service because we want to pray with you. We want to lead you in that prayer where you can receive the gospel of grace and you can find the true meaning of your life. You may be going down dead, dead ends constantly, running into brick walls, but real life is found in a relationship with God through our creator, Jesus Christ, that he paid for our sins, wiped away our debt so that we can be in close relationship with our creator. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this message, Compelled by Grace. We're actually going to learn some lessons from the Apostle Paul, how he was compelled to do what he did by grace. And uh, I want want you to think about your own life for a moment. What drives you? What's your biggest motivating factor in your life right now? For some of you, it might be to make money. Others of you, it might be to gain power, maybe climb the corporate ladder in your job or to, to start a business or, or whatever it might be on the, in the business side. I mean, for some of you, it could be like, I want as many followers as possible or as many likes on social media. I mean, there's a lot of different things that can drive people. For some, it's just relationships, being with people, my family. There's a lot of things that can drive people. But we're going to talk today from the, the scriptures about what the Apostle Paul was driven by. Grace. And you think about what is grace. We, we titled our, our series through Galatians, Grace Changes Everything. Grace is a gift. In other words, if I pulled out a $20 bill and I came up to you and I said, at the end of the service, would you go around and just pick up all the pieces of paper at the end of the service and I'd be glad to give you this this $20 bill? That would not be grace. That would be a wage. It's something you're doing in exchange for what you did. Grace would be like, as you're getting ready to leave, I hand you a $20 bill and says, hey, go enjoy yourself. Go have a meal after church on me. That's grace. You didn't do anything. It was a received gift that you had. And this is what the gospel is. It's a gift that we receive, and we call that grace, that gift. Now, as we start Galatians, Apostle Paul, was in. he was going through a uh, couple big things that were people were coming against him. First of all, people were coming against his uh, authority as an apostle. They're like, you're not a real apostle. You're not one of the original ones that followed Jesus. You weren't sent out like the early church apostles. So he had that opposition. They also were opposing the message that he had because he was going to the Gentile world. And they were coming to him, these Judaizers, these agitators, as they were called in Scripture. They would come and they would say, okay, it's okay if you want to be uh, believe in Jesus, you Gentiles. But you've got to first become Jewish. In other words, guys, you're going to have to be circumcised. You're going to have to follow the dietary laws. You're going to have to follow all the commandments, the ceremonial things. In other words, if you want to be a believer in Jesus, you also got to be Jewish. 
And Paul was coming against that, against the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles. And so these are the couple of the big things that Paul was encountering as he was writing this letter to a group of churches in the region of Galatia. Galatia was in like the central southern part of what was called Asia Minor in those times. In those days, today it's modern-day Turkey. And we know at least four different churches that he went to in his missionary journeys. Now, if you're going to break the six chapters of Galatians down, it would kind of follow a little bit of an outline like this. Chapters 1 and 2 would be Paul's experience with God's grace. So that's where we're going to be at today. Chapters 3 and 4 is the doctrine of God's grace. And then chapters 5 and 6, the application of God's grace. How do we apply it in our everyday life? So just kind of a simple little outline you could use in your head as we move through this book. So in Galatians 1, you're in verse 11 now, let's start. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, and whenever Paul talks about brothers and sisters, it, it just tells you that he's talking to Christians. He's not talking about uh, belie- people who are not believers. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel... That good news that I preach to you is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And if we had the time, we'd jump into Acts chapter 9, and we could see when Jesus spoke to Paul. Paul was on the road to Damascus. He was ready to persecute Christians, throw them into jail. I mean, he was, he was like a modern-day terrorist going after the church, dragging them into courts, approving of their death. And the Lord stopped him, blinded him, spoke to him, and Paul gave his life to Christ, and everything changed from there. He received the gospel directly from Jesus. Now, as we think about what the gospel is, it's always good to compare it to what it came from out of or what it was uh, differences of where Judaism was it was they followed the law God had given them the law in the Old Testament and so let's look at a comparison on the screen the law and there was all kinds of laws more than just the Ten Commandments um, there was the Ten Commandments with the moral laws but there were ceremonial laws and so forth is what God requires from us for our perfection but the gospel is what Jesus did for us for our perfection. Big difference, right? I'd much rather go with what Jesus did than me trying to do it. Because you know what? I'm going to fall short all every time, and so are you. The Bible says that even if you keep all the commandments, but you break one, you're guilty of breaking it all. And sometimes people get hung up like, well, why did God give us these laws then? Well, first of all, they're great moral things on how we can base and live our life. It helps us to understand the character of God. But really, the law was given to us, we'll find this later in the, in the book, is it was given to us to show us we have a need for a Savior, that we are sinners. And how would we know we were sinners unless we had a law? It'd be like if there was no speed limit signs and the patrolman pulled you over and says, hey, you're speeding. You said, there's no signs. I, I wouldn't know what is the speed limit. Well, the law gave us the speed limit signs, so we know when we're breaking the law, we show our need for a Savior, for the gospel. Now, let's go a little deeper into what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15 is a great place that describes the gospel by the Apostle Paul. And this 
book he was writing to a church in Corinth, but we're going to take a little time to go through it because it's so complete. It says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So evidently, maybe they were forgetting it. They were moving away from it. And that can happen. So Paul wants to remind them of the gospel. He says, which you received, and that's what our role is. We received the gospel. We, a, you know, a gift has to be received, right? It's not a gift if you don't receive it. No, 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 I don't want that. No, it has to be received. And on which you've taken your stand. So for us, we receive the gospel and we take our stand. We're committed to it. We believe it. It says, by this gospel, you are saved. But there's not just a period there, is there? Then what's the next word? If. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So in other words, the gospel is something that we receive, we take hold of it, we, we base our life on it, it makes a difference in our lives. And you're going to find in the Apostle Paul's case, it's going to compel him to be different. Move on to the next slide. So now he's going to define the gospel very clearly. For what I received, and when did Paul receive that? He, he received it from the, on that road to Damascus from Jesus. He says, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So this is the most important thing Paul could share with us. That Christ died for our sins. You ever want to simplify the gospel down to as few words as possible? There it is. Christ died for our sins. That's the gospel right there. That he died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. In other words, he's saying there's a lot of people still living here today that could refute this. They saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. Then he appeared to James, that's, that's the brother of the half-brother of Jesus. Then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. And I think what that part is, what Paul's referring to, is I wasn't a part of that original group. I wasn't born into the, into the faith with that original group of believers. It was for me later. Then he goes on and says, For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted The church of God. But, verse 10 is so key here. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. Let's keep that up there for a moment. Look at verse 10 again. It's the grace of God that caused Paul to want to work harder, to bring the gospel to other people. This is a guy that's going to go through shipwrecks, imprisonments, stoning with rocks, you know, and uh, all kinds of difficulties that he went through for the sake of the gospel. He worked hard because of the grace of God. He appreciated so much what Jesus Christ did. And so, as we uh, think about this for our own lives, have this point up on the screen. Let God's grace save you 
and compel you to fulfill his purposes. See, when we really understand the grace of God, we have to first understand what we've been saved from. We're all deserving of hell. We've sinned in thought, word, and deed against the holy God, the creator. It doesn't matter the degrees of sin. We're all, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, as it says in the book of Romans. But as you truly appreciate what Jesus did for you and me, it should motivate us to be like, I want to love him back. I want to serve him back. Uh, I, I'll give you an example. What if I gave you a million dollars? And you were like, oh, wow, thank you. I love that, man. It would be kind of natural to say, what could I do for you? Man, you ever have any need, let me know. I want to, you know, because you've received a lot, you'd be like, I'm grateful to you. What can I do? If there's ever anything I can do to help you. See, it's like we're compelled by the grace that we've received such a debt and a, a debt that was way more than a million dollars. But we've received that from the Lord. So that, so that should compel us. Let's get back to the, the uh, passage here. And uh, in Galatians 1, verse uh, 13. And, uh, well, before, let me just say one other thing before we get there. Do you know many churches don't like to teach on grace? They're afraid it'll give people a license to sin. Like, oh, if it's just all by grace, it's all by this gift. If it's not like, oh, I got to also do a bunch of hard work. You know, you know, and it's harder to manipulate people if you're preaching a message of grace. So sometimes some churches don't like that. And then some people say, well, you know, that sounds like cheap grace. It's not cheap grace. It costs Jesus everything. We get to freely receive it. So now, verse 13. Now, Paul's going to sh- start to share his testimony. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among the, my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Let's just stop there for a moment. At this point in Paul's life, what was he motivated by? What was compelling him? Judaism, religion, traditions of the fathers. This is what he was so motivated for. Do you know you can be motivated for the wrong things, right? And this is what Paul's saying. Hey, in my former way of life, I was so motivated. I was persecuting the church, trying to stamp out the, stomp the church out because it was competing against Judaism. But look what he says in verse 15. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, Oh, I can't. I got to stop right there. This is why we're pro-life. Because we believe that life begins at conception. Many passages in the scripture talk about life in the womb. Here, Paul was called by God while he's still in the womb. Now, that's a true grace because Paul couldn't do anything at that point, could he? I mean, he's in the womb. So, you see here, I mean, even in Jeremiah 1.5, Jeremiah says this, Before I formed you, or God said this to Jeremiah, he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. Remember the story of Elizabeth? She was pregnant with John the the Baptist inside of her. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, came. 
It says that the baby leaped for joy inside of her when he heard Mary's voice. So when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, not to me, in me, see that? So that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia. And later I returned to Damascus. That area of Arabia, it was in the uh, Nabataean Desert, the Nabataean region of Arabia, which would have been southern Syria into Jordan, maybe parts of Saudi Arabia today. It was this area where Paul departed Damascus after he got saved, and he went to go be with, with God. We don't know how long part of this three-year period he's going to talk about here in a moment. But why do you suppose Paul went and he went off into Arabia after that? Just gotten saved. I think he went to the, to the desert region just to go get along with God, probably search the scriptures, and realize, wow, now I see Jesus is the fulfillment of all these prophecies. He would have learned so many things growing up in, in the Jewish religion. He would have learned the Old Testament. But they were all looking for some other Messiah. They were looking for a political leader. And all, all of a sudden before them was not a political leader. It was Jesus, God in the flesh, here on earth. And Paul's like realizing, wow, now it's all making sense. I didn't understand it before. So then he's going to go back to Damascus for a moment. Another interesting part of Paul, before he was saved, he was a Pharisee. He was part of the religious uh, leadership of the Judaism. And uh, that word in verse 15 where it says, God sent me apart, is the word aphorizo. Aphorizo means set apart. It's where the, the root word of Pharisee came from because they were ones who were set apart. So what Paul was saying was, before I was set apart as a Pharisee, now I'm set apart for a different calling. My calling is to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So here's the first thing. We've got four different things we're going to see about God compelling. And that is, number one, be compelled by God's grace, not by religious traditions. Be compelled by God's grace. See, Paul before was... Compelled by religious traditions. We don't want to be, we don't want to fall in that trap. We want to be compelled by His grace, the appreciation for what He's done for us. And every one of us have been called. You might be saying, well, you know, you're a pastor, you've been called, I haven't been. No, every one of us have been called. I'll give you a verse to prove it right here. 2 Timothy 1 9 says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. There's one calling that we all have. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. See, God has called us before the beginning of time. His grace for us. He's called us to live a holy life. He's called us to be in Christ. Now, what religion does, though, is tries to Muddy the water, so to speak. It tries to say, and you'll find this with most religions, they'll acknowledge Jesus, but then they want to add something to Jesus. Last week, Pastor Brian did a great job of talking about Jesus and all the cultural things that get added to Jesus. 
Today I'm going to talk about Jesus and all the church type of things that get added to Jesus. Because sometimes it happens even within the church. People have their own religious traditions and things that get added to it. So look up on the screen, you'll see some things that people try to add to Jesus for, you know, being right with God, so to speak. See, religion tries to add Jesus plus good works. That's a big one. You know, there are many people who, who, who believe in Jesus, but they also believe that their good works are going to get them to heaven. Your good works aren't going to get you to heaven. It's what Jesus Christ, his good works is what gets us to heaven. Here's another one, baptism. There are certain people out there say, when you get saved, you, that's great, but you've got to also be baptized. Until you're baptized, you're not saved. When I was growing up, I, I, uh, I was in a church uh, that I was sprinkled as a baby. And they taught me that that's when I became a Christian, when I was baptized as a baby. Well, infant baptism is not in Scripture. You cannot find one passage of Scripture that indicates infant baptism. But I'm, I'm guessing that probably most of you fell into that tradition. I remember when we were, we were raising our kids in, in the ways of God. And uh, we had our first daughter, Christy, and she... And uh, we did what we do here. We, we dedicated her to the Lord, and that's what you see in Scripture, dedication. That's what Jesus was, and he was brought to the temple. And I remember my grandmother. My grandmother was like, oh, so beside herself, because she was part of this same religious tr- tradition. And she thought, I hope nothing happens to your kids before they're baptized. Because if something would happen, if they would die before they're baptized, they're going to go to hell. Some of you were raised that way. Am I right? That's not biblical. You know, Jesus, when he was talking to the thief on the cross, and he said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. But one more thing, you got to get down off that cross. Go get baptized first. Okay? And if you were to study about, I think it's in Corinthians, uh, somewhere, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I didn't even baptize many people. You know, if baptism saved you, then Paul should have been baptizing everybody he talked to. No, baptism is an outward expression of what happens when we become a follower of Jesus. By the way, yesterday we had a great baptism at the pool. We had 16 people got baptized. And uh, yeah, it was, it was great. And, uh, and baptism is important, but it doesn't save us. Oh, here's another one. What church you attend? Some people get pretty prideful about their church. And they're like, like, unless you're a part of our church, our denomination or whatever, you're not real believers. I've heard that said about our church from people who have attended another church in our area. Oh, here's another one. What translation of the Bible you use? Some are so proud of it, they put it right on their sign. King James only. Now, I know some of you love the King James. That's what you learned and you grew and you uh, grew up with. You memorized. I have no, no problem with King James. Except it's, it's hard to read and hard to understand because it was written in 1611. Old, you know, King's English. And we don't speak that way anymore. But, you know, that's fine. But don't add it to, like, this is the only way we can be a believer. Is that we got to... Because I, I remember talking to a guy one time and we had... Uh, a number of people gave their life to Christ. I said, wasn't it great the number of people gave their life to Christ? He stopped me right there and he says, but you don't use the King James Bible. I mean, that's where you, people get adding these other things. Well, here's another one. End times or Holy Spirit beliefs. You know, there's some things that are not 100% clear in Scripture. 
Some things are, like the way to the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. But there's some things we say are like more open-handed. We might agree to disagree, that we may not know exactly all the times of, you know, when Jesus is coming back and what way and so forth, or our beliefs on the Holy Spirit and some of the different things about that. You know, that's fine. But don't add it to like this is the only way you can be saved, is you have to believe just like this. And then sometimes this happens, and I've, I've talked to missionaries where this actually spreads even in churches and overseas, where uh, people come in and they want to add Jewish festivals, Old, Tis, Old Testament traditions to believers to say, no, you, this is the way you have to do it. Sometimes there are certain Christians, you can only worship on Saturday. I mean, you've talked to those people. You know, that's adding things to it. Let's not add things to Jesus. Amen? So grace is grace, and we appreciate it. Now let's go back to the scripture, verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to, Paul's again talking, he's sharing his testimony. He says, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, again, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. And I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and to Cilicia, and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. You know, as I was reading that section, I just couldn't help but think about what was compelling Paul here. This brings us up to the second thing that should compel us to. Number two, be compelled to build Jesus' church, not our empire. Paul wasn't trying to build a, a ministry around himself. He was traveling around, trying to build churches, get churches started, getting leadership in place. Some people have gotten sour on the church. Well, it's because we're made up of imperfect people. But Jesus... He, he gave his life for the church. We are his, called his body. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He's the one who established the church. So don't get sour on the church. Churches are just full of imperfect people. But here's what happens sometimes is that people come and they want to build their empire. Let's, let's be careful that we don't want to build our kingdom. It's thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Not my will not my kingdom. And this is part of the even, just, it's a subtle little thing, but it's just so important. You see here what we're trying to do as a church. We're using teaching teams. So it's not built upon just one person up here speaking. All we are as pastors is we're ordinary people just like you. We get up the same way in the morning. We, we you know, you, you don't think we walk on water or anything, Okay. But we use teaching teams here at all of our campuses because we don't want you to get attached just to one person. I can only hear from them. You know, we're drawing everybody and pointing everybody to to the Lord Jesus. That's who we need to be learning from. So we're teaching you the scripture, and and that's who we we fall in love with is is through the word of God, and and we don't want to build our own empire. Now we see Paul doing two things. He shared the gospel, and he also used his testimony. Two really big things that all of us can use in our own lives. We share the gospel and we share a testimony. Every one of you should have a testimony. One way or another, if you've gotten saved, 
you've given your life to Christ, you have a testimony. And some of you, it might be like you were like, you know, I didn't, never did any big bad things. I gave my life to Christ at, at a young age, and, and that's a testimony. Others of you were, you know, a lot, lot worse. You're more like my wife or me or something. <laughs> she was perfect. No, I mean, we all have a testimony. But here's the three elements that we should have in a testimony. Our life before trusting Jesus. Now, be careful that we don't want to glorify sin. Okay? Who were we before we were Christ? For me, I was a religious person. I believed all this stuff in my head, but my lifestyle was a mess. Number two, how did we give our life to Christ? This should include our coming to know Jesus uh, our belief in the gospel, that he died for our sins. I, I, couldn't, I could never be good enough. The, the gospel fits into that number two area, how we gave our life to Christ. And here's a big one, number three. What's changed since following Jesus? Something should have changed. With the apostle Paul, you don't see him like, oh, I had this experience with Jesus, now I'm going to continue to go out and kill Christians. Some people say they've given their life to Christ, but nothing's ever changed. Remember, we just read in 1 Corinthians, we've got to take our stand. If not, maybe we believed in vain. So that shows me there can be a false belief that we just have this mental knowledge, but we, it's never become part of us. So something should change. Now, remember, none of us are perfect. So we don't, you know, we're not going to be perfect, but things start to change when we become a follower of Jesus. Now let's go into chapter 2. It says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, probably 14 years after he uh, became a follower of Jesus. And this time with Bar- uh, Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, probably something that the Lord had spoken to uh, the Apostle Paul, and meeting privately with those esteemed to be as leaders, the leaders of the early church there in Jerusalem. I presented them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. So let's stop there for a moment. What was Paul doing? He was getting all this opposition from people about the gospel. Like, okay, yes, you know, you've got to add Judaism. You've got to be Jewish first. They were trying to make Christianity a sect of Judaism. And Paul's like, no, 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 that's not the way it is. So finally, Paul decides, I'm accountable to the early church leaders. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to, just to make sure the message that I'm teaching is correct, I'm going to share it with them. In fact, I'm going to take another person along, Barnabas, who was another leader, and I'm going to take this guy, Titus, along. Titus was a Gentile. He was a Greek Gentile. And I'm going to take him along as an example He's going to be come along, and they're going to be able to question him and see, you know, are you really saved? Did you give your life to Christ? And see, how do they think he should live his life based as a Gentile believer? Does he have to become Jewish, in other words, or not? So that's, that's setting the stage there. But look at verse 3. Yet not even Titus, who is with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. In other words, those religious leaders, the, excuse me, the uh, early church leaders, they didn't say, Titus, you've got to get circumcised. You, didn't, you, you have to become Jewish first. It says he wasn't compelled to do that. 
Now Paul's going to explain further why he brought this matter to him. He says, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. And really, that's what, you know, religion does. It makes us slaves. You know, we're manipulated. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. See, what these, these people that came in, these false believers, they were really like sheep, or excuse me, wolves in sheep's clothing. Okay? They were not true believers. They're false believers, but they came into the church and they were trying to infiltrate, spy out, you know, tell people, oh, no, that's not quite right. By the way, you know how you can tell a wolf in sheep's clothing, don't you? By what they eat. What do they eat? Other sheep. This is why we as pastors and elders take very seriously our role providing spiritual leadership and protection for the church body. You guys don't always know sometimes the meetings that we have to have with people saying, no, you can't teach that here. You're teaching a false... Uh, you, you have a false belief. You're, you're not correct according to Scripture. You're bringing something else in. Sometimes these people are repentive. They change and praise the Lord. Sometimes they get mad and they leave. But either way, we take seriously protecting you as a church body. And we have the truth of Scripture that we base our beliefs on. Not the Scripture plus things like others can t- tend to do. And so we want to stay true to the Word of God. Now, these, uh, these things happen to Paul constantly. And here's another example where it happened in Acts 15.1. You see this passage. It says this, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. So these are one of these wolves in sheep's clothing. Unless you're circumcised according to custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. See, this is what they were trying to do. They were coming from Judea, that's the region of Jerusalem. They were coming down to the Gentile believers, say, okay, you've got to be circumcised. Now, circumcision was something that was uh, in the Old Testament. It was a, uh, a sign of a covenant that God had with Abraham and his descendants. But it was never a requirement of the gospel. And if Paul was with us today and Paul was to, like, say... You know, I'm going to communicate back to these churches. I'm going to use a meme instead. You know, a meme, like a little graphic to try to describe what you should and shouldn't do. Paul might use a little graphic like this. No dumb dad jokes today. Just a meme, okay. But what's so important is that we didn't dilute the gospel here. It could have been very easily. You know, people today are still trying to do that, dilute the gospel by Jesus plus these things that we've talked about. That's what was happening here. So here's our next thing, is be compelled to obey God above others. We've got to be careful. Sometimes people want to push us in a certain direction. And we have to be so careful that we don't get caught up into what others want us to believe. 
They want us to accept and be tolerant and, and, and everything kind of goes. And, you know, if we're not careful, then pretty soon the church moves to a point of liberalism where anything goes. And I'm not talking about politics now. I'm just talking about within the church. Some churches have gone that way because it's like everybody's invited. Everybody's included. Every lifestyle's fine. And it's like they move beyond grace to where they move past the scriptures. And we have to be careful we don't go that direction. But we also don't want to be on the other extreme where we get so legalistic that we're sin-sniffing and we're, we're like, oh, are you doing that? You know? When we, when we first got saved, I mean, we were in a church that, like, you couldn't, you couldn't smoke, you couldn't drink, you couldn't dance, you couldn't even go to movies. Like movie theater. They were bad. Any of you ever remember those type of churches? So the pastor that was a friend of ours in that church we were going to he was associate pastor him and his wife they went out of town when they wanted to go see a movie (laughs) they didn't want anybody to see them okay but sometimes we pick these little things and then we just try try to get so legalistic with it so where's the balance here's the balance the grace is found on these pages of scripture the gospel is grace I'm not up here Because I have to. I'm up here because I want to. I've given my life to Jesus Christ, and and I'm compelled to do what I do, not for a paycheck. Half of my Christian life, I was not collecting a paycheck to to do what I do uh, for the sake of of Jesus. What What is motivating you in your life? And be careful that you don't allow others to come in and and distort the gospel and, and push you into these categories where you have to like somehow conform to what they want you to believe. There are times where we just have to say, no, I'm not going to fall for that. I'm not going to believe for that. I'm going to stay true to God. See, here's the next thing. If Satan can't stop the church from the outside, he will try to from the inside. He's so deceptive. We have to be very careful, and that's why, again, we as leaders take our role very serious. And the best way we can protect you is by teaching you the truth. That's why we go to the Word. That's why we t- we're in books of the Bible, and we teach you the Word to protect you. Verse 6, and we're going to get down to uh, verse 10, and that's where we're going to close today. It says this, And for those who were held in high esteem, whether the, what they were makes no difference to me, God does not show favoritism, They added nothing to my message. Paul's just saying there, these uh, early church leaders in Jerusalem, they didn't change his message. He was preaching the right gospel. You didn't have to become circumcised. You didn't have to become Jewish to become a believer. Verse 7, on the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised. That's talking about the Gentiles. Just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, in other words, to the Jewish people, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. What that right hand of fellowship means is that in biblical days, it was a sign of partnership and agreement and friendship. You didn't just offer that right hand of fellowship for any reason. And so the early church leaders said, Paul and Barnabas, we give you this right hand. We agree with what you're doing. You're a partner with us. 
That's why they said that. It says, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing we'd been eager to do. Here's our last one. Be compelled to share the gospel of grace and to be generous. That's what Paul was doing there. He was Peter, he was going to go to the, the circumcised and uh, um, Paul to the uncircumcised. The, the, share that gospel of grace and be generous. See, the, the poor that he was talking to there in verse 10 were the early church. They were extremely persecuted around Jerusalem because, remember, they, they were Jewish people. And as soon as they acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah, they were put out of the synagogues. They lost their jobs. Many of them lost their families, and they became very poor and dependent. Then a famine hit the region, and they became extra poor. So in Paul's missionary journeys, oftentimes you'll see, you'll hear him collecting a collection of money to take back to Jerusalem. And that was to help these early believers because of the situation they were in. I love this passage from 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul says this. For Christ's love, that's his grace right there. For Christ's love compels us. That's what we've been talking about all service. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. What Paul's saying there is, we're compelled by his love, by his grace. And because Jesus died, we die to ourselves so that we can live and we live for him. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him. That's being that compelled by his grace. And you know where you find real life is, you find real life when you die to yourself and you're living for your creator. That's where real life comes from. People in this world are trying to find it in all these different ways, and they keep coming up empty. And that's why people are so mixed up and, and empty and just depressed and all the other things they're dealing with because they're finding real life in a wrong... They're looking for it in the wrong place. We will find it in Christ. Look at this um, quote from a famous missionary from the 1800s, Charles Thomas, or he goes by C.T., Stud. Don't you guys wish you had that last name? What's your last name? Stud. Here's this famous quote, and it is so good. I've been meditating all week as we've been going through prayer, uh, prayer or prayer week. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I know some of you have heard that before. Let me repeat it again. Only one life, that's all we get, right? One life, it will soon be passed. Yep, someday it's going to be over with. Only what's done for Christ will last. The only thing you're taking with you to heaven is other people. So let that be a motivation to you to reach the lost and to use your life on purpose. Some of you, if you're trying to build your empire and trying to have a big pile of goods and everything, it's just going to end up in somebody's trash at some point in time. What does your life count for? What are you, what's, what's driving you? And as we, as we close, just a, a review of the, the four points again So before we pray. Be compelled by God's grace, not by religious traditions. Be compelled to build Jesus' church, not our empire. Be compelled to obey God above others. 
Be compelled to share the gospel of grace and be generous. Amen? Now, you can't do any of it without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you've got to receive the grace first. And today, if you're not a believer, whether you're watching online or you're here in Melbourne somewhere, maybe watching or listening to this after the fact, it all starts with our relationship with Jesus Christ. A gift must be received. And if I said I wanted to give you a $100 bill, and I had it in my hand, I was holding it out, and you looked at it and said, I don't know if that's real. Uh, there's some catch. I'm not going to take it from you. Then it's really not a gift to you. You have to receive it. Same thing with the gospel. We read it in 1 Corinthians 15. The gospel on which you received it said, you've got to receive the gospel. And we want to give you an opportunity today as we pray. You can receive the gospel. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we wrap up this message, thank you for your grace that was found through Jesus. Lord, let the grace of God compel us to live our life differently because we appreciate so much what you've done for us. We know we're not saved by any of the things that we do. It's all by what you did, but we receive that. And I pray if there's anyone here today who is not in a relationship with you, that they would either call the number on the screen or they'd come up at the end of the service because we want to pray with you. We want to lead you in that prayer where you can receive the gospel of grace and you can find the true meaning of your life. You may be going down dead, dead ends constantly, running into brick walls, but real life is found in a relationship with God through our creator, Jesus Christ, that he paid for our sins, wiped away our debt so that we can be in close relationship with our creator. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.